Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Hey, as we get started today, can we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are God, and we are not, and we get to know you. You have, um, man, graciously chosen to make yourself known. You've gathered us into this place today to hear from you. That's an immense privilege. We get to hear from the God of heaven and earth, and Lord, it's an amazing thing that in history you've written a book so that we can have this record of who you are and how you want us to know you and how we can interact with you. God, we are so grateful that you have offered us this, this privilege today. So, Lord, help us to tune our hearts to you. Help us to have an appetite for your word. We know that that is born of you. So speak to us. Lord, we would be so bold as to ask that you would speak to us today because you're graciously willing to be known. So we want to know you through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so uh, surprise, surprise. We're going to be in the 15th chapter of John today. right? Yay, surprise. Yeah, been in, in there for quite some time. John chapter 15. Again, we're in the last night, um, earthly night of Jesus, just before his crucifixion. And so just to catch you up to speed of what's taking place, Jesus served the disciples. He washed their feet said that that was an example for them to follow. Then he predicted that one of them, or prophesied that one of them would betray him. That was Judas Iscariot. Judas has now left the building. He's not in the room anymore for this part of the conversation of Jesus with his disciples that we're going to read about today. And then he chooses to spend his last moments with his closest friends, kind of encouraging them to serve one another, to love one another, and as we learned last week, to abide in him during the days, of, days ahead, and now he's going to talk about bearing witness about him to all the world, and he's going to tell them in our passage today that you're going to go out and be hated and potentially murdered for my sake. Did you hear what I said? Jesus, in his final moments before the crucifixion, tells his disciples, um, People hated me. You're, you're next. So we need to wrestle with that today. Um, is, is this what following in Jesus' footsteps mean? And we talk about, with Reach Life, being gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. Is this what it means to be a gospel-centered disciples of, disciple of Jesus? Does it involve being hated? Is this really what we... What we signed up for when we said, Jesus, I, I want you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, is being hated, kind of what we signed up for. Uh, well, let's read the passage together. John chapter 15, we'll begin in verse 18, and we're actually going to dip our toe into ver- chapter 16 and go to verse 4. John 15, beginning in verse 18, says this. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Serious words from Jesus there, to say the least. Um, I just want to address a quick housekeeping note. There's a segment in here that may have perked up your uh, spidey senses or, or your antenna a little bit, where Jesus, in verses 22 to 25, Jesus says that if he had not come to the Jewish leaders or performed the miracles that he did before the Jewish, Jewish leaders, that they would be without sin. Now, we got to be careful not to pluck that verse out of any context and make it say what it might appear at first to be saying. Um, here's a good tip on interpreting the Bible. Never make doctrine out of a single passage. Always let that doctrine be confirmed by multiple passages and then you know okay it's pretty clear the Bible's teaching this but we know that Jesus can't be saying that these people had he not done the miracles and signs before them that they would be completely without sin and right before God because elsewhere Jesus teaches that all have sinned right the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that there's none that please God um, and that Romans chapter 1 teaches us that all of us everywhere are indeed without excuse. So that cannot be what it means. Well, I think it means what Jesus has been talking about right here. Jesus has talked about they directly rejected. He came and performed the miracles to them. He himself, God the Son in the flesh, walked into their world and looked them in the eye and said, I am he, worship. And they did not. In fact, not only did they not accept Jesus or his miracles, they hated him. They hated him, and so they're without excuse. They hated Jesus. Jesus has revealed himself, and they rejected not only the revelation, but they hated the revelator. They hated Jesus himself. So Jesus then tells his disciples, essentially, there's this large group of people called the world that hates him. They hate the Father, and they will hate the disciples, and they'll probably find a way to, to kill or murder the disciples as well. Um, Jesus tells them, don't worry, though, because when they hate you, when they persecute you, you're in good company because they hated Jesus. They persecuted Jesus, and they ultimately killed Jesus. And Jesus says they're going to hate you as well, and indeed they're going to kill you. And some of them, he says, will claim that they're doing it for God. So, uh, cheers, right? Happy. Does this sound like, um, you know, we, we teach in the church, we teach, hey man, God loves you, JC. He's got, a, he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Does this sound like God loves you? Has a wonderful plan for your life. He does love you and have a wonderful plan for your life, but this may not sound like it to our modern ears. Listen, this is, this is um, 
what happened to the apostles. James, the son of Zebedee, was executed by Herod in 44 AD. Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome around 66 AD during uh, the persecution of Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified, but upside down. He didn't think it was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was, so he asked to be crucified upside down. Andrew I went to preach in what today is modern uh, Ukraine, Romania, and Russia. He was the first to take the gospel to that area. He also preached in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and in Greece. And in Greece, Andrew was crucified as well. If you've ever seen the Scottish flag, it's got a big X on it. That's called St. Andrew's Cross because that's how he was crucified, on something that looked like an X. Uh, Thomas went east of Syria as far as India where he preached the gospel. Thomas was killed by being pierced through with the the spears of four soldiers. Philip uh, had a powerful ministry in North Africa, and he led the uh, wife of a Roman proconsulate to faith in Jesus. Well, as, uh, as retaliation, Philip was arrested and whipped and stoned to death. Matthew went to Persia and Ethiopia, and in Ethiopia, Matthew... The writer of the Gospel of Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew had missionary travels in India with Thomas. He went to Armenia and Ethiopia, southern Arabia. He was beaten and then crucified. And then when they took them down from the cross, they beheaded him. James, the son of Alphaeus, ministered in Syria as well. Uh, The historian Josephus says that James was stoned to death, or was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot. Uh, ministered in Persia as well. He was crucified because he wouldn't sacrifice to a false god. Matthias was the apostle chosen to replace Judas. History tells us that uh, he was in Syria with Andrew and that he was burned to death. John, the writer of this gospel that we're in, was the only one that didn't die as a martyr. He died in an old age, but it wasn't because they didn't try. John was boiled in oil in exile to the island of Patmos, where he would write the book of Revelation. So in recent history, this was, that was the 12 disciples of Jesus. In recent history, we see this trend continue. More Christians were killed in the 20th century than all previous 19 centuries combined. 605 million Christians today live under political restrictions on religious liberty. And 225 million endure outright persecution. Uh, Even today in Myanmar or Burma, where the Nisan Patriarch is from, Christians are forced to live in camps by the government or they're killed by uh, radical Muslim monks because they're Christians, just because they're Christians. Statistics show us, you may have seen recent articles in the news from people like CNN, Washington Post, and others, that although religious persecution in general is increasing in the world, Christians are far and away the most persecuted people group, religious people group in the world. There's an infographic coming up on the screen. This was reporting from 2018. Uh, They released this uh, at the beginning of each year. So it was in the top 50 countries in 2018, just the top 50 countries, 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced and imprisoned. 1,266 church buildings were attacked. 
4,136 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. That's, uh, on average, 11 Christians killed every day for their faith. And this was before, just two weeks ago, where on Resurrection Day, Christian churches and hotels where Christians were staying for the holiday were targeted. Um, Even in our own society, you know, our civil laws are increasingly being written to say that Christian doctrine is hate speech, um, even abusive. But think about it. In the world today, there are people, like we mentioned, being imprisoned, persecuted, sometimes killed simply because they claim the name of Jesus. Do we experience that here? We don't. We are here, free, worshiping Jesus. Lift up Jesus. We just sang like, we say the name Jesus freely. We preach the gospel freely. We gather freely. We are not persecuted the way people around the world are for being Christians, are we? We're just not. So what do, what do we make of that? What do we think about our lack of persecution? Is it a blessing or a curse? Kind of both. One question to consider about our relative lack of persecution, again, is is it a blessing or a curse? Did you know that the nations where Christianity is under the most oppression, where Christians are most persecuted, is are the places where Christianity is growing the fastest? It's where the most disciples of Jesus are being made. The, blood, the, uh, the seed of the church is fueled by the blood of its martyrs. Where, I, hear me, where Christianity is persecuted the most, the church grows the strongest and the fastest. It's here in the United States where we are under relatively very light. I don't even know if I would call it persecution. We suffer like paper cuts for Jesus. It's, we... we um, we find in America, though, the church is in either like trying to maintain or is in decline overall. Why is that? Why is that? How, how does the American preaching of God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and if you, if you aren't healthy, wealthy, and wise, it's because you don't have enough faith. Try preaching that in a country where people are being beheaded for Christ. Try preaching that sort of message to the 12 apostles who were boiled in oil and beheaded and crucified for the name of Jesus. So if, if, if that kind of persecution comes to our shores, what are we going to do? Listen, that's the history of the church throughout the world, throughout history. What in the world would we do should that come to our shores? Are we really willing to give our allegiance to Jesus Come what may, no matter what, um, maybe it's uh, in our lives, uh, even today, ridicule maybe, maybe to feel uncomfortable, maybe um, being forced to not being able to do something we want to do. Um, are we willing to even endure that? Um, theologian J.C. Ryle said that mere churchmanship, that is showing up to gather with the church, and outward profession are a cheap religion, of course. 
and cost a man nothing. But real, vital Christianity will always bring with it a cross. Paul wrote to Timothy, his young protege, and said, And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Definite, will be persecuted. Jesus himself in Matthew said, They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. So persecution, then, is not something that might happen to us. Now, if we're listening to the words of Jesus, it's something that will happen to us in some degree, in some form. Um, when we get serious about our commitment to Christ, when we begin making difficult life decisions that don't look like the life decisions of people around us, when we begin to easily have the name of Jesus come off of our lips, when we allow Jesus to make us more like himself, then the world will begin to treat us more like they treat Jesus. Does that make sense? So let's pause and ask the question, how serious are we? Listen, I know this is like a, a throat punch message this morning, but Jesus is trying to lay some, some facts to his disciples. He's like, listen, I'm going away, and the reason I'm going away is because they killed me. They're going to kill you. You're going to, you will be persecuted. So I'm trying to prepare us today. A good measure of how serious we are, a good measure would be how, how much are you being persecuted right now? Just stop and think about it. How much are you willing to be persecuted right now? Here's a hard, here's a hard fact. If you're not being persecuted, it should make you ask some serious questions. If you're not being in some way ridiculed, or maybe you don't fit in as much anymore, or, or maybe um, your Christianity makes people uncomfortable. If we're not being treated like Jesus, then maybe we don't look a lot like Jesus. It's just something to think about. If people aren't treating us the way they would treat Jesus, then maybe we don't look a lot like Jesus. And maybe some of you are beginning to see difficulty in your lives maybe because you're taking a stand for Jesus, whether it's in a civil way or a social way or in your family or among your friends or whatever. You're like, hey, I follow Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's what it means to be a disciple of his, and I'm going to follow him. And you're beginning to see that. You're beginning to feel that, that dissonance with you and those around you. Um, there's something about you that's different, and it kind of presses in to the culture around you, and it presses in to the relationships around you, and it, inevitably it's going to make things a little bit uncomfortable. So since that's true, since the more Jesus uh, through the Holy Spirit shapes us to be like himself, we will be persecuted. I want to help us to be prepared for that today because it's coming. It's coming, and I think the temperature of persecution and, and scrutiny and uh, disdain for Christianity, even here in our comfort in America, the temperature on that's be, being turned up. I don't know if you can feel that or not, but it's being turned up. So I think we need to prepare. How do we prepare for persecution? Jesus gives us two sets of instruction here, actually kind of two orders. because they're, they're commands. These are like marching orders given by Jesus to his disciples. 
the first thing that we need to know to prepare for persecution is just to look to the life of Jesus. Um, you may have already caught on this morning. This is not a very complex message. <laughs> this is very straightforward. Jesus is being very direct with his disciples. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. That word know there in the original language is an imperative. Jesus says you have to know this. It's not something, hey, I want you to be aware. He wants you to on purpose and continually and consistently think about the way that the world has treated Jesus. Actively pursue thinking about how is it that Jesus was treated when he arrived on the planet to die for our sins? How was he received? We remember from the first chapter of John, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Right? He made the world and was in the world, but the world did not know him. They did not receive him. So we need to look at how the world receives Jesus. Um, why would anybody hate Jesus? Jesus, if, we, if you read the, the Gospels, Jesus is the most loving, the most truthful, the most grace-giving. He would heal the blind, make the lame walk, raise the dead, and people hated him. How could anybody hate Jesus? Can you imagine? How could any? He's like, well, how can anybody hate me? I'm a nice guy. No, they hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. So one way to, to understand how they could hate Jesus is to picture the world we live in, right, with all its warts and, and just picture the world we live in. And then against that backdrop, that dark Backdrop, picture the person of Jesus. And in your mind, imagine the contrast between Jesus and the world. First of all, Jesus is the only human being who is also God. He's not like anybody else. When Jesus is around, things are different. Jesus automatically, uh, can you imagine, okay, so those of you who are married know that the way that you know you're sinful becomes so much more clear after you're married than before you are married. True? Having somebody else in your life that loves you and is honest is just enough to say, you know what, dude, I am messed up. I wish I'd have gotten all this straightened out before I got married. I'm sorry, honey, but uh, here I am. Help me, all right? Um, but imagine not just having a spouse live with you, and, and it like even with, they don't have to try to, it just exposes all your stuff because you're yourself around somebody else. But imagine having Jesus around. God in the flesh, perfect, holy, completely righteous, not afraid to share the truth in love, of course, but he's going to share the truth. And imagine how you would feel just sitting beside Jesus. I would feel so dirty sitting beside Jesus. Jesus makes people uncomfortable because he's God. And the, very, the second thing that kind of helps us see that contrast between Jesus and the world, we've looked at Jesus, look at the world. The world is everything that Jesus is not. 
us in our sin nature, we are everything that Jesus is not. The Bible records that every single component of all of reality is fallen. It is not what it should be. It is not what it was originally created to be. It is fallen. Now, we can go outside now. It's summer and everything looks beautiful. And it's, yeah, but can you imagine? This is the fallen state. Nature is red in tooth and claw because of the fall. We in our hearts are, in ways we don't even know, wicked. Contrast that with Jesus. And we can see how because in the fall we were kind of infused with this rebellion against God, we can see why the world hates Jesus. We can see why we in our natural dispositions are enemies and rebels to Jesus. The psalmist describes this pretty graphically in Psalm chapter 2. He says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The world sees God and God's law as a ball and chain. It is an encumbrance to to be gotten rid of. And listen, when you follow closely after Jesus and you begin to seek to try to live by his law, his gracious law that shows us our need for the Savior. When you try to follow the way Jesus lived his life, they will see you as a ball and chain also. They will. And they will want, just like they shake their fist at God and want to, to take the shackles of God's law off of themselves, they will want to take you out of their lives when you become that light the way Jesus says to be salt and light. It's just how it is. That's just how it is. It's not a first century kind of thing. It's a human nature kind of thing. Just like it happened with the apostles, it can happen with us. So maybe we can understand it a little more. So we need to remember the life of Jesus. The second thing that Jesus says to prepare for persecution is to remember his words. He says it very plainly in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. So again, this word remember, it's like an exercise and understanding. Remember, intentionally think about this. Remember that you are not greater than your master. Jesus says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Listen, Christianity is not the path of least resistance. Have you guys found that out yet? It is not. And if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. You know, there's an old philosopher who said that Christianity is the opiate of the masses. It's for weak people. Quite the opposite. It's for people who realize we're weak without the Lord, but it is not the easy path. It is not the easy path. It is is against the the, uh, direction of the world around us, and it is against the sin nature that still rages within us. It is not the path of least resistance. Uh, It's not the popular thing to do. And if Jesus, without sin, drew hatred from the world, 
then we, his followers, who are just mere human beings, will draw hatred from the world if we seek to follow Jesus. And again, maybe you have, uh, some of you have experienced that. Maybe you've begun to see, you know, when I'm around my certain group of friends, and I just don't fit in anymore. I'm just, I mean, I still love them, and I think they love me, and, but I'm just not that guy anymore. I'm, I remember Kelly told me, and she wouldn't mind me saying this, she, uh, before she became a Christian, she remembered uh, how she, she used to drink a lot. And she would go to, to bars and hang out with her friends, and that's what she and her friends would do. They would go hang out in bars and drink together. And then when she wasn't into that anymore, she realized she didn't have a lot to talk to those friends about. There really didn't, weren't things in common, you know. So when we seek to live differently, um, we will look differently. And people will see us differently. And so Jesus um, says the same thing will happen to us that happened to him. But also he says, if, if they keep If they kept my word, they will keep yours. Hallelujah. Some people will listen to Jesus. (laughs) And so when we talk about Jesus, by God's grace, some people will listen. If If they are open to the Lord, if they are open to hearing the true words of Jesus, then when you speak the true words of Jesus in truth and in love, people will listen. Praise God, people will listen. Even though it's difficult to live and to talk and to move in this world, some people God will use in your in will use you in their lives to draw them to Himself. They will listen and hallelujah. We in this room are fruit, are proof that people will listen. People will listen. Um, and the gospel realize never appeals to the masses. It just doesn't. It can't. You, you, you may wonder, why can't we get like a good, solid, Bible-believing, gospel-centered president? Or, well, they would never be elected. They just wouldn't. The gospel does not appeal to the masses of people. Jesus would not win the presidency, I guarantee you right now. He's not. And when we seek to follow Jesus... Whenever, if, if we're running along in the human lane, we might be good. But as soon as we let Jesus steer our lane, then people see Jesus in us and it gets uncomfortable. It gets uncomfortable. But some, some thankfully will respond to Jesus and will respond to our witness as well. So be encouraged. He will use us even though it could be a difficult place. The third, last thing we need to do in preparing for persecution is to keep the big picture in mind. Keep the big picture in mind. Think about the world without Jesus. Think about the world without God's grace. Even people who don't know Jesus, do you realize, if, you, if you're not a Christian in here, do you realize that you still live with God's grace? We call it common grace. You still live with God's grace. You You have breath in your lungs, and the sun actually makes your crops grow. Like you live in this zone in the universe they call the the Goldilocks zone, on this 
planet where we can thrive and you've been given a heartbeat and breath in your lungs and a mind to think and people around who love you. You live under the grace of God. Can you imagine the world without the grace of God? There would be no world. There would be no world. And so keep the big picture in mind. You're going out as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, the giver of grace and blessing and truth and love and mercy to the world around us. And the world needs you because you are the bearer of the good news. Keep the big picture in mind. The world cannot go far without Jesus, can't go anywhere without Jesus and needs grace. You are the bringer of grace. Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. Um, we should have, not have anger for people who don't know the Lord. We should have sorrow. We should break our hearts for people who don't know the Lord. Jesus says in this passage, verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. And that should break your heart. These are people made in the image of God for a relationship with the God who made them, and they do not know him. That should not produce hate in your heart. That should produce sorrow in your heart for them. That's the big picture. It should break our hearts because people are separate from God. They, they don't know what it really means to live. You have the message of life, and we are his ambassadors. We are the ones who get to carry that message out. We represent Christ to the world. That's the big picture. That's the big picture. So then, realize when people, when you go out in grace and love to share the gospel of truth, when, the, when our sin is exposed, we either do one of two things usually. We hide, withdraw, or we lash out. So when people withdraw, or they lash out, if you're showing truly, sharing truly the, the, the message of the gospel in truth and love, if they withdraw from you, or if they lash out, the big picture is they're really lashing out against God. They're not your enemy. These people are not your enemy. You've been deceived by the enemy. Let that break your heart the way that it breaks the heart of the Lord. And let's not flee from persecution. Let me read, a, a, in closing, an article to you, a, a clip from an article, uh, by this journalist, Al Jansen. He said this, Recently, I visited with some Muslim background believers in Christ in Egypt. And I asked them how we in the West could pray for them. Listen to what they said. Please don't pray for us, they answered. Please pray with us. I was confused by this answer, so one of them explained. If you pray for us, you will pray for the wrong things. You will pray for our safety. You will pray that persecution will cease. But if you pray with us, you will ask God to bring millions of Egyptians to faith in Christ. You will pray that when the inevitable Muslim backlash comes because of our witness, we will be faithful, even if it costs us our lives. He says, I left that meeting amazed at the strong faith of these brothers and thanked God for their words. How many of us would boldly witness for Christ if we knew it could cause our arrest, torture, or even death? Yet they were joyful and eager to see God produce a harvest of souls among Muslims. The persecuted church needs our prayers. 
but we also need their example. Often they have told me that they pray for the Western church, that we will be faithful to Christ in the midst of our materialism and the numerous temptations of our culture. You know, so the question for us, maybe right here, right now, today, is not whether we would die for Christ, because we don't, we don't face that right now. The question is, will you live for him? Will you live for him? I think for us, sometimes, maybe that can be tough, can be tougher. Yeah, I'd die for Jesus. Somebody put a gun in my head, I'd, yes, I, I'm not going to renounce Jesus. I will put my faith in Jesus. Yeah, but what about the little decisions, day in, day out? Will you live for Jesus. I want to close uh, with an exercise to maybe um, put in our minds as we move to the Lord's Supper. Put in our minds. Yeah, you come. That's fine. Put in our minds um, what Jesus endured for us so that we can be willing to endure for him and for his namesake. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can do this too. I want to, if you would, everybody close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to picture Jesus on the cross. I want you to listen to what, as you picture that, what he endured for us. He was rejected and mocked by his family. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He was severely beaten and whipped by trained Roman torturers. His beard was pulled out by the roots He was beaten with reeds. He was stripped and mocked in public. A crown of thorns was shoved onto his head. He had spikes driven through his hands and feet. And they hung him upon a Roman cross. You can open your eyes. This was the hatred that Jesus endured on your behalf, on my behalf. It was accomplished through men, but it was a divine act of God bringing the full righteous wrath of the Father upon sin. Whose sin? Mine. Yours. That's what Jesus bore for us. That's what he endured. So as we begin to think about, will we live for him? Remember what he did to die for us. That's what we show every week when we talk about the Lord's Supper. We talk about Jesus spilling his blood, Jesus having his body broken, Jesus giving his life for us so that we could live for him. That's really living. So now take some time to pray. Maybe it'll be a time for you to confess, Lord, there there are times when I'm a coward for you and you don't deserve it. Lord, forgive me. Or there are times when I'm bold, but I'm not loving. And that's not reflective of Jesus either. Maybe today's the first time you've come to wrestle with your life before Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever business God wants to do with you, pray and speak with him now. When you're ready, come take the cup and the bread back to your seat and remember Jesus.